This is Joseph Bolwer, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast from Hatikvah HaMashiach Ministries. In this podcast, I will be focusing on some of the lessons that can be gleaned from Parsha Balak. This Parsha spans Numbers 22-2 through 25-9 and opens with Balak ben Zephor, who is the king of the Moabites, his attempt to have a Gentile prophet named Bilam ben Peor curse the Hebrews so that he could hopefully defeat them. If you're not familiar with some of the Hebrew, Ben is the Hebrew word for son. So Balak ben Zephor means Balak the son of Zephor, and Bilam ben Peor means the son of Peor. Now in Numbers 22.3, we learn that Balak was afraid of the Israelites. And Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was in dread because of the children of Israel problem for Balak was that he was afraid for the wrong reason. Israel was camped in the land of the Moabites. In fact, they were right on the Jordan just across the border from the land that Yehovah had promised them as an inheritance. Now, on top of that, they had just been given two decisive victories over the powerful armies of Og and Sikon, the king of the Amorites. There's no doubt that the people of Israel were feeling united as a people and rejoicing in their victories as they had anticipated the end of their long journey. Now, as they made their camp at the Yarden, they may not even have been aware of Balak's fear and of his plans to summon Bilaam to curse them. Now, because of their miraculous victories over Og and Sikon, Balak and the Moabites feared the children of Israel, but it was because of their numbers when the actually they should have been afraid of them because of Yehovah Elohim, who had given them those victories and was continuously watching over and protecting them. One has to wonder if Balak would have continued with his plan to have Bilaam curse the Hebrews, if he recognized it was Yehovah who had protected them, and that these were his chosen people above all the other peoples of the earth. And who was this Gentile prophet he placed so much faith in? By some accounts, Bilaam was a Gentile prophet who was respected by the Gentiles for his limited ability to curse people. He had achieved a measure of success which allowed him to demand a fee for his services. But, and despite his dubious reputation, Bilaam also knew about Yehovah Elohim and was confident that Yehovah would hear him and answer him. So when the representatives of the Moabites and the Midianites first arrived at Bilaam's house, he invited them to spend the night so that he could consult with Yehovah Elohim about their request. And Yehovah's answer was clear. He was not to go with them, and he was not to curse the people, for they were blessed. The next morning, Bilaam dutifully reported that Yehovah would not allow him to go and curse the Hebrews. Interestingly enough, when Bilaam went to give his report to the Moabites, they were the only ones there. We aren't told why the Midianites chose not to meet with Bilaam or if they were even still at Bilaam's house, but it was only the Moabites he reported to. Even though Bilaam had refused to return with the Moabites, Balak refused to give up. He sent a larger, more distinguished delegation in hopes of convincing Bilaam to come. But Bilaam refused their request as well. He even said that even if they offered him enough silver and gold to fill his house, he could not go beyond what Yehovah commanded him to do. When Bilaam mentioned this enormous amount of silver and gold, that even that would not be enough to get him to come, 
the delegation of the Moabites didn't balk. They didn't even flinch at this tremendous fee. And this called Bilaam to waver, and he decided it wouldn't hurt to double-check with Yudabaveh just in case he changed his mind. So that night, Elohim came to Bilaam with his answer. If the men come to call, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you do. The next morning, Bilaam rose, saddled his donkey, and departed for Balak's camp. When he did, we're told that the displeasure of Elohim burned because he went, and the messenger of Yudavave stationed himself in the way as an adversary against him. This account of Yudavave's reaction to Bilaam leaving the next morning has left some wondering how Yudavave could first give Bilaam permission to return to the Moabites and then burn with displeasure when he did what he gave him permission to do. But the answer is simple. His consent for Bilaam to turn with them was based on what the Moabites did the next morning. If they came to call on Bilaam once they arose, then he could go with them. But Elohim warned Bilaam, but only the word which I speak to you, that you do. Bilaam could only return with the Moabites if they came to him the next morning. But instead of waiting to see if they would come to him, he rose up, saddled his donkey, and was ready to go. It doesn't seem as if he was willing to be patient and wait to see what they would do. Would Elohim convince the Moabites to leave during the night or change their mind about asking him to come? This might explain why the Midianites were not present the next morning during their first encounter with Bilaam. But for whatever reason, Elohim told Bilaam to wait and see. But the promise of that much gold and silver must have been overpowering. Part of the confusion regarding Bilaam's actions lies with how some of the Bibles translate this verse. For example, the New American Standard adds the word have to these verses, so that verse 20 reads, God came to Bilaam at night and said to him, If these men have come to you to call, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. Adding have to this verse makes it appear that a Elohim was referring to when this second delegation had first come to his home rather than waiting until the next morning. This doesn't actually reflect the Hebrew text. The English translation in the, in the Scriptures Bible is more accurate. It reads, If the men come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak, that you do. And the King James Bible closely follows this translation that we find in the Scripture Bibles too. This timeline in verse 20 is supported by Bilaam's action in verse 21. And Bilaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the heads of Moab. Bilaam, who by most accounts was already a wealthy person, had servants who would have done chores for him, such as saddling his donkey. But he didn't wait for this to happen. He saddled his own donkey, took two of his servants with him, and set out to meet Balak. Contrast Bilaam's action to that of Father Abraham. Abraham was also a wealthy person with many servants, as we can read in Genesis 14, 14. Yet when Yudhavavheh commanded him to take Isaac to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him on a mountain that he would show him, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Yitzchak, or Isaac, his son. Abraham's willingness to obey Yudhavavheh, despite what had been asked of him, Abraham didn't waste any time. He, too, rose early and saddled his own donkey, and along with Isaac and two of his servants, 
He set out from the mountains of Moriah. Here we have two men in scripture, two men in a hurry, but for far different reasons. Abraham's faith gave him the courage to take Isaac to the mountains to sacrifice him. And there his life would either be spared or pardoned, depending on how you interpret the scripture. Bilaam's greed and impatience overcame his obedience to Yah's will and eventually cost him his life. And the story of Yathabave's messenger and Bilaam's donkey's ability to talk are pretty well covered and pretty well known topics, so I'm only going to make a couple of observations about this part of the Parsha. First, I believe there is a very strong possibility, and I mean very strong possibility, that the messenger of Yathabave in this and several other passages of the Tanakh is the promised Messiah of Israel, our Messiah, Yehoshua. And secondly, this is probably not the first time since the seven days of this creation that an animal has spoken to men. But these are topics for another story. For now, let's return to Bilaam's confession as he attempted to curse Israel and earn his silver and gold. The first incident took place in Numbers chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. And in these 12 verses, Bilaam had Balak construct seven slaughter places, or altars, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for him. He then told Balak to stand by his ascending offerings while he went to confer with Yadhe But when he returned, Balak was not pleased with what Yadhe had given him to say. Verses 8 through 10. How do I curse whom El has not cursed? And how do I rage at whom Yadhe has not raged? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I observe him. Look, a people dwelling alone, not wrecking itself among the nations. Who shall count the dust of Yaakov and number of one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. And Bob was not pleased at all. And he asked Bilaam what he had done to him. He had summoned him to curse the Hebrews, and now he had blessed them. So he decided to give it another try. And we read of this try in Numbers chapter 23, verses 14 through 26. Balak took him up to the field of Zephoam, which was atop Mount Pisgah, once again built several altars, altars excuse me, and offered a bull and a ram on each one of them. And this time when Bilaam returned, the heads of the Moabs were there with Balak. And he asked him, what did Yadhe had to say? And in verses 18 through 24, we have his response. Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. El is not a man to lie, nor a son of man to repent. Has he said, and would he not do it, or spoken, and would not confirm it? See, I have received to bless, and he has blessed, and I do not reverse it. He has not looked upon the wickedness of Yaakov, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Yadavave, his Elohim, is with him, and the shout of a sovereign is with him. El, who brought them out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, is for them like the horns of a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Yaakov, nor is there any divination against Israel. Now it is said to Yaakov and to Israel, What has El done? Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It lies not down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Now, quite a warning for Balak. And this time he made a little bit different request. 
And that was that Bilaam neither blessed nor crushed Israel, but he was willing to try it one more time. And that third attempt is found in Numbers chapter 23, verse 27 through chapter 24, verse 9. Now, in this third attempt, they remained on Mount Pisgah, but at a different location. Now they were looking over the wasteland. Block once again built seven slaughter places and offered seven bulls and seven rams as Bilaam went to inquire of Yadavave. And in return, we find Yadavave's response in chapter 24, verses 3 to 9. The saying of Bilaam, son of Beor, and the saying of a man whose eyes were open, the saying of him who hears the words of Baal, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How good are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwelling places, O Israel, like wadis that stretch out, like gardens by a river, like aloes planted by Yadavafe, like cedars beside the waters. He makes water flow from his buckets, and his seed is in many waters. His sovereign is higher than Agag, and his reign is exalted. Ale who brought him up out of Mitzrayim is for them like the horns of a wild ox. He devours nation, his enemies. He breaks their bones, and with his arrows he smites. He bowed down, he lay down like a lion, and like a lion, who would rouse him? Blesses it he who blesses you, and curses he who curses you. The words in verse 5 were given to a Gentile prophet by Yehovahe to speak over the children of Israel. How good are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwelling places, O Israel. And these are the opening words of the prayer Matovu, which are part of our daily prayers. Now these words angered Balak even more, and he warned Bilaam to flee to his place. But Bilaam wasn't through. Before he left, he told Balak what was going to happen to the Moabites in the latter days. And in 24, 15 through 24, he took up this proverb and said, the saying of Bilaam, son of Beor, and the saying of a man whose eyes were open, the saying of him who hears the words of El and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes open wide. I see him, but not now. I observe him, but not near. A star shall come out of Yaakov, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and shall destroy all the sons of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, and Seir shall be a possession, enemies. And Israel is doing mightily. And out of Yaakov one shall rule and destroy the remnant of Ar. He then looked at Amalek and took up this proverb and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but his latter end is to perish forever. He then looked at the Canaanites. And he took up this proverb and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Rakayan is to be burned, till when does Asher keep you captive? And then he took up another proverb and said, Oh, who does live when El does this? And ships shall come from the coast of Katim, and they shall afflict Asher, and afflict Ever, and, shall, and so shall Amalek, and he also perishes. A Gentile prophet for hire, who at first disobeyed Elohim in order to curse Israel, and the end could only bless them, and prophesied the final destruction of the nations who sought to destroy us. But this is not the end of the Parsha. 
Before he left, Bilaam did tell the Moabites a way in which they could destroy Israel. And in chapter 25, we find out what that way was. And the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. When Yudhavave witnessed the abomination that was taking a place among all the Israelites after all he had done for them, he ordered that all the leaders of the people be hung because of Israel's sin. And the people stood by weeping and crying. And even after this command to hang the leadership, Zimri ben Shalu of the tribe of Shimon brought Cosby Batsur, a Midianite woman, to the door of the tent of meeting and committed an abomination before Yadavave. It was only after Pincus ben Elazar ben Aharon killed the two that the plague stopped. Then only after 24,000 had died. Now there are several, if not many, lessons to be gleaned from this Parsha. And I pray that as you study Parsha Barak, that the Ruach of Elohim, or the Holy Spirit, reveals to you more of these lessons. And that you will share what you learn with me and with others. For now, let me just share a couple of things that I learned. When people look at us, and I'm referring to Hebrews, uh, I'm referring to those who are among his chosen people by virtue of walking in the covenant of Mount Sinai with Yudhavafe through the Messiah's sacrifice. When people look at us, who do they see? What do they see? Do they see us and our traditions and guarding the commandments, wearing zitzits and all of this? Or do they see the Elohim that we serve? Do they stand in awe and fear of him or of us? Or maybe not awe and fear of us, but do they look at us and not see our Father working in our lives, leading, guiding, and protecting us? Can we once again stand in faith and obedience as his people? Trusting in his mercy, his forgiveness, his protection, his love, even against the world's most powerful enemies or powerful people, even if we're unaware of their plans. And this would even include our main adversary, Hasatan. And another thing, do we study his word closely, paying attention to every word that proceeds from his mouth, or do we pick and choose those words that we want to hear? We are told in Deuteronomy 8, 3, and the Messiah repeated it in Matthew 4 and 4. We're to abide and live by every word to proceed from our Father's mouth, not just some of them. So do we consciously strive to keep and teach even the least of his commandments, just as our Messiah, Messiah Yehoshua, told us to do in Matthew 5, 19? And lastly, do we have the courage to stand up to sin and abominations that is being committed by his own people, those he longs to take as his cherished possession, do we have the courage to stop the sins that we see going on? And I guess that's more questions than it is lessons. But they're questions that each of us individually and then collectively as his chosen people, we need to answer because we are his light into this world. We are the ones preparing the way for the Messiah. And if we fail in our duties, as being watchmen and warning people of their sins, if we fail to stand up and have the courage of Hencus and so many more, then a lot of people are going to lose their lives at the end of this age. The star that came forth from Yaakov and the scepter that rose in Israel is soon to return. 
And if we don't stand for him now, we may not get another opportunity. We have Yudhavave's word as well as his pledge that he will never change one thing that he has spoken or break his covenant with us, just as he promised King David. That's in Psalms 89 34. Here's another lesson. There is no need to keep going back to him to see if he's changed his mind, no matter how many people tell you he has. His word, the Torah, the Tanakh, is eternal. It is forever settled in the heavens. And it is time his word is settled here on this earth with us as well. And as always, feel free to contact me if you have any questions or comments, or if you'd like to share something that you've gleaned from his word. My email is mravyosef at gmail.com. That's M-R-A-V-Y-O-S-E-F at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day. Shalom, shalom.